0: You're definitely going to want to move that. I will. Welcome to Worship in the Park, everybody! What a gorgeous day! Hey, I've got some prime seating right here. If anybody's interested, moving in the in the sun. Man, it's great to be back outside. Great to see so many faces—new faces, faces, familiar faces. Just great to be back all together. Love seeing uh, seeing us all gathered here for worship. My name's John. I serve as the executive pastor here at Glen Island Bible Church. I've been filling in this summer. If you haven't been around much, I've been filling in this summer. Our senior pastor's off away on sabbatical, doing some learning of, of other churches and traveling and that sort of thing. So we've been in the book of Colossians all summer long. And we're, we're making our way through Colossians. We're almost to the end. And so uh, go ahead, and get your phone out, get your Bible out. We're going to be in Colossians 1. We're actually going to start in... Sorry, Colossians 3, verse 1. You guys got nervous there for a second, right? We're going all the way back to chapter 1. So we'll be in chapter 3, verse 1. We're gonna, actually going to start there uh, this morning. As you're turning there, I'm, I'm thinking back into my, in my mind, when was the last time we were gathered here for worship in the park? Does anybody recall the date? 2018, right? Okay, so we were here in 2018. Does anybody remember what the temperature was that day? 900 degrees is the correct answer. It was so hot and so humid, Kelly was, was gone. He was, he was gone bringing one of his kids to college, and I texted him that night, and I said, hey, man, I know we've kind of got this deal where, where you don't wear shorts on the platform, but I'm wondering, is it possible for me to wear shorts tomorrow at Worship in the Park? It's going to be so hot. He texts me back and he says, no, you definitely should not wear shorts on the platform. It will, you know, some people might be offended by that. And, you, you know, you should wear, wear pants tomorrow. I'm like, okay, so I show up and I am the only person in the entire park wearing pa- pants that day. 900 degrees hot i text carrie i said hey bring me some shorts because after i preach i'm going to need to change it's that kind of hot right so now fast forward to june of 2020. june of 2020 we decide that uh, with covid going on we can't meet inside we're going to meet outside in the parking lot you guys remember those days we all gather in the parking lot And we're outside, and we sing some songs, and Kelly steps to the platform, and what does he have on? Shorts! So this morning, I am taking all pastoral freedom. I'm wearing shorts uh, on the platform this morning. Oh, thank you. My wife says I have sock tan lines, so sorry for that. All right, let's read Colossians 3 In glory. We covered this last week. But what I want to point out here about this section is, is how beautiful it is, how, how almost poetic it is, isn't it? It's this, it's this beautiful stanza about who we are in Christ and, and who Christ is. It's almost this lofty kind of statement, isn't it? You get kind of drawn into it, into the beauty of this type of stanza. It's, it's almost as if, like I said, Paul is writing poetry here about who Christ is and who we are in him. And as we've gone through the book of Colossians, we've seen Paul do this a number of times, right, where all of a sudden it's like, it's almost like he changes tone and he gives us this beautiful kind of poetic stanza about who Christ is and who we are in him. Consistently throughout the letter, he's, he has these moments of these beautiful pictures about how supreme Christ is how sufficient Christ is for us but what i love about paul is that he he comes off these and writes these beautiful poetic stanzas and then he jumps right in to some real practical things some real life application stuff he goes from these these grand beautiful poetic statements to really practical life application stuff. And we have one of those sections this morning. We're going to pick it up again here in verse 5. So, so Paul has said this beautiful thing about Christ and who, how supreme he is and how, how our lives are in him and with him. And then he says this, put to death therefore, so because of that, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So Paul takes us here to to some really practical stuff. So because of Christ and who he is and who you are in him, let me give you some really practical things. And he starts with the old self. He starts with the sinful nature of, that can entangle us. The the old earthly, the old fleshly nature. And he he says, put that to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. He goes on to list anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from our lips and lying. And Paul says, murder these things. Put these Things to death. This is not who you are any longer. Paul knows that when we, we live in, in that sinful nature and we, we change, we come out of that sinful nature, it can, it can be easy for us to be drawn back to it. Because what sin, what these, these things do in our lives, they're not just a list of rules because God wants you to follow and live a certain way. They actually have real consequences in our lives. These things, they, they warp us and they bend us, right, away from happiness and wholeness and fulfillment. And so Paul is warning, don't, don't go back to those things. I remember a time when my son Wyatt was about three years old. I drove home from work and if, in, if you have kids, you know there's that moment where mom or dad gets home and the kids are just waiting, you know, they're so excited and they come running up to you, welcome home, dad, you know. Wyatt comes running up to me, and as he's, he's running up to the car, coming out of the backyard, he's limping on his leg. He's limping, like something's wrong. And I think, oh no, you know, two boys, rambunctious, what happened? And I, say, well, I get down, Wyatt, Why? What, what happened here? And he, he's like, there's something in my shoe. Something in my shoe. I untie his shoe and take it out, and there's this big old rock in his shoe. Of course, like a, like a, three-year-old boy. He never took the time to actually stop and take it out. He just kept on going, right? Kept on playing. So I, I took the rock out and I threw it and I put his shoe back on and I tied it up and he, he goes running off. But what does he do as he's running? He's still limping on that foot. That rock he had become accustomed to in his shoe. And even though he was free from it, he wanted to, to still act like it was there. It had bent his walk, it had warped his walk. He had this, this feeling. It took some time for him to realize, oh, I, I'm free. I'm totally free. I don't have to walk like that anymore. I don't have to live like that anymore. I, can, I, I have freedom now. That's what Paul is talking about here. Don't go back. Don't be warped by that old self. He's going to give us some instructions. He's going to give us a, a picture of what the new self is gonna be like. He, he's gonna tell us put that old self aside, murder that old self, don't go back to that old self because there's something better. And he's gonna get there in a second, but before he does so, he writes this here, here in the church, in the family of God, the people of God, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is in all, Christ is all and is in all. What is Paul talking about here? Why why does Paul throw this verse into his list of, of the old self and the new self? Almost feels a little bit out of place, doesn't it? Let me offer this. I think Paul's actually teaching two things here in this verse. I think he's telling us about our true identity, that who we are, who we are in this world, what we are known by and what we present to the world as a child of God is no longer about our race or if we follow the, the Jewish law and a certain, certain religious system. It's not based on what nationality we are or what our status in life is. Our, our new identity, our identity is based on who we are in Christ. That is first and foremost. We are with Christ, we are in Christ, and He is in all. That, that those things that we would typically identify ourselves are, as are, are no longer what's primary. Paul is telling us that who you are in Christ, your identity in Him, is what is most important. The second thing I think Paul is teaching here is that there are there's no no divisions. There's to be no divisions in the family of God. These verses are used time and time and time again to talk about the, the unity and the harmony that the gospel brings. That we are we're no longer divided, Jew and Gentile. There's no status based on our our race or our ethnicity or our occupation or our status in this world, that that we are all one under Christ, in Christ. Our identity is all the same. There's no levels any longer. So our identity is in Christ, and and in the family of, of God, in the body of believers, there's no divisions any longer. And then Paul turns and says, with this in mind that because of murdering and putting off the old self and because of your new identity and who we are as a people of God, the family of God. Paul turns and then says, this is is what the, the new self should look like. This is what the people of God then should look like. So if we got rid of the old self, what does the new self, Look like? What are the he clothe yourself, right? Take off the old nasty rags and put on the new self. What does that look like? What does the life of a person who is following Christ look like? He starts in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, those people who are whose identity is in Christ and no longer divided by anything. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, here it is, with compassion. Clothe yourselves. The people of God, his holy chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Bear with one another. Bear with each other and forgive one another as if you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. What should the life of a holy chosen person of God look like? What does it mean to live a life following Christ, known by him, in him, with him? Just what does it look like? Paul is is being very clear here. It is someone who is compassionate. It is someone who is kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Someone who, who bears with other people. Someone who is quick to forgive because they realize that they have been forgiven by the creator of the world. That all their sins have been forgiven because of of what Jesus did on the cross. People of God, holy people of God, be patient, be compassionate. Be gentle. Bear with one another. Be quick to forgive. Quick to forgive the wrongs that you feel and experience in this life because you know what has been forgiven in your life. What if the chosen people of God, the people here, just just our group right here, what if the world looked and said, man, those... Those Christ followers at GBC, they're the most kind and gentle and patient and loving and forgiving people I have ever met. Paul goes on to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So here, Paul, Paul turns a little bit more into the actual people of God, the church. What should the church be like? What what would we be known as as not just individuals, gentle, kind, patient, Bearing with one another, forgiveful people, but as a church, as a group, what would we be known as? A, a body, one body living in peace with each other. One body that teaches each other and holds each other accountable, admonishes one another from time to time about behavior or attitudes and we would be teaching each other in that wisdom, growing in that wisdom to be more compassionate and kind and humble. That we would be a group of people that, what what does Paul say here? That we sing. (laughs) We sing to each other and we sing hymns of praise. That we would be people full of gratitude. Paul then ends this section in verse 17 and Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So whatever we do, whatever we say, whatever we do, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we give thanks to Him through God the Father. So if we just paused here for a second, right, the, the weight of the passage is, at least for me, the last few weeks as I've been preparing, is, it's, it's a little bit heavy, right? Like the, the danger of the old self and not wanting to go back there and then, yeah, what's, what's actually called, what God is actually calling me to. If we just paused for a second, if we just pause for a second and thought, am I gentle? Am, am I a peacemaker? Man, it, it, it's, it's weighty. I, I look at this, this list and I, I actually find myself more regularly battling the old self than living fully in the new self. Am I alone? Maybe I'm alone. I just stepped out on a limb. Feel free to saw it off, right? I don't think I'm alone. It's heavy. And here's the hard news is that this, this is the bar. Like, this is it. We, we don't lower the bar. This is what we're called to. This is, this is who we are to be. This is what is expected. The bar is, is high, for us individually, and for us as a church. And it feels heavy because we know that we don't consistently measure up. We like to put the old clothes back on. We walk with a warp and a limp because it's tough. So let me offer let me offer three things, three quick things, three thoughts on how do we move forward. If we want to stay away from the old self, we want to murder the old self, and we want to we live in the new self, let me, offer, let me offer just three quick thoughts. The first one is this. We need to remember Jesus. His saving work is what rescues us. His saving work is permanent in our lives. So we put off the old self and it's, it's possible to put to death the old self and to fight that fight only because of what Christ has done in our lives. And we don't put to death the old self and we don't, we don't strive to live like, like the new self on our own strength. We have the same spirit that was in Christ in our lives, the, the Holy Spirit. We can rely on the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and strength and courage and knowledge. We don't battle this battle alone, and we don't kill the old self and strive to be the new self to try to earn something from Christ. We do it because we, we love him, and we, we want to be more like him, and we, we want to Be the person he has called us to be, that that true person, our true self. And so in this this life, as we go, we need to every single day remember Jesus. Remember his death on the cross to forgive us of our sins. His resurrection to cancel death so that we can live eternally with him. His spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside us, guiding us and and convicting us. We don't battle alone. We don't battle to earn something. We don't battle to prove anything. We battle with Christ in us, giving us wisdom and strength. The second thing I would offer is this, something practical. So we're thinking about Jesus have you ever tried to run a race, a marathon or a 5K or a triathlon? If you try to do that all on your own, the work is incredibly difficult. You need something, somebody with you in that training, somebody with you running that race, right? A running partner. If you're gonna, if you're gonna take on something really challenging like that in your life. You, you find other people to do it with you. So, so when you wake up early in the morning and you don't want to go out for that early morning run, you have that person that texts you and says, I'm waiting on the corner. Let's go. It's Time to run. Guys, the same is true in our life in Christ. Is that if we think we can run this race alone, it will be incredibly difficult. We need people around us, people that actually know us, know what we're going through, know, what we're, know that part of that old self that we're drawn to, and push us to be the new person in Christ. Help us put on the new clothes every day. I want to encourage you to find running partners in your life. Find a friend or two, get in a group, something that helps you, along the way. Finally, finally, let me offer this. I think that we need to do a better job. We need to do a better job individually and in our church, in the Christian life, of marking moments of growth and transformation in our lives. We need to do a better job of putting stakes in the ground to say, Something happened to me on this day, on this moment, and I am not going back. Maybe a rite of passage or a a marker in the ground that says, I am going to acknowledge this event and it is going to mark me and, and people are going to know about it and I'm not going to be, any. I'm not going back. We mark events in our lives. In the Old Testament, the Israelites when something powerful would happen, when they had a, a miraculous encounter with God or, or God did something totally unexpected and beautiful or saved his people or, or something, they would build a, what's called a standing stone. They would pile stones, stones of remembrance. If you go to Israel today, you can, you can see some of them still existing. And the Israelites did that so that they would not forget that they would be marked and different. And when they would pass by and they would see that pile of stones, that marker, they would remember and say, we're not, we're not going back to that. We're, look what God has done. We put a, a, a marker in the ground, a standing stone to remember. Church, I want to encourage you to, the moments in your life where you make a commitment to Christ or a recommitment or, or you get together as a family and you say, you know what, we are not going back to, to living that way and doing that anymore. We're going to change. We need to mark that moment, celebrate God showing up, acknowledge him and his, his work in our lives and mark that moment. That's what I love today about baptism. That's what I love about baptism. It's this, this powerful moment, right, in people's lives where they, they say, I'm, I'm making a stand. I'm publicly committing to say Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life, and I, I'm not going back. I'm I'm marking a moment. If those who are are getting baptized today, if you guys would make your way to the front here, we've got a lot of folks getting baptized today. We can celebrate. If you guys just want to kind of line up over here by Jonathan, we'll get you guys all set up to go. I want to offer a couple thoughts about baptism. Baptism is a, a moment, a, a time that we take to mark a moment in, in our lives where we, we publicly show our commitment and we, we share a word, a testimony about what God has done in, in our lives and we we mark the moment by going into the water and coming out of the water. It's actually, church, a really, really powerful connection to our text this morning. Yep. There's this image, right, of the, the old self going into the water and the new self coming out of the water. That's what baptism is about. Yep. Baptism, just so we're clear, baptism doesn't, doesn't save us. Just because you get baptized, it doesn't mean you're, you're in, right? Like you, or if you don't get baptized, you're out. We baptize because we, we follow the command in Scripture that when, when you become a believer, get baptized. Mark that moment. Baptism is full of symbolism. I mentioned one already, right? Going under the water, the washing off of the old self, and, and the new self rises, there's symbolism of the, the death of Christ and his resurrection. Our, when we are we baptized, we 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 die with Christ and we're raised with Christ. Paul talks about that all throughout Colossians. It's this powerful moment of marking a moment. Seeing these kids, a number of, of kids getting baptized today. This is a, a time to celebrate, acknowledge a moment, a marking of a moment our savior christ was baptized and so so we believe and we follow and when you when you become a believer in christ you get baptized so let me pray and then what we're going to do is we're going to hear all the testimonies of everybody who's getting baptized they're going to kind of go through and after they share their testimony we'd love for you to to clap okay celebrate what god has done in this person's life and then they're going to they're going to kind of line up again, and then we're going to sing some songs while they are baptized, and we can, we can sing and praise God and celebrate kind of all at the same time, okay? And let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word in Colossians. I thank you for Paul encouraging us. God, I pray that each of us will feel uh, some encouragement, some conviction and some encouragement today to, to, to live with new clothes on. We would live as our identity is in you, as new, made new through Christ. God, I pray for our celebration of baptism this morning. We thank you for these lives that have been changed through your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.